Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode are Bombay Bicycle Club to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the album My Big Day. Bombay Bicycle Club are an indie rock band from Crouch End, London, comprising multi-instrumentalists Jack Steadman, Jamie McColl, Surinder Saram, and Ed Nash. Forming while at school, aged 15, the initial trio of Jack, Jamie, and Surin wrote and performed as The Canals. Joined by Ed one year later, following various changes, they settled on Bombay Bicycle Club, taking their name from a chain of London curry houses. After winning the opening slot of V Festival in 2006, they caught the attention of producer Jim Abyss, and in February 2007, released their debut EP, The Boy I Used To Be. Under Jim's masterful eye, they set to work on their debut album, a genre-defining record, 2009's I Had The Blues But I Shook Them Loose secured a nomination for that year's Mercury Prize. And in 2019, we sat down with them to discuss its 10-year anniversary, episode 23, if you'd like to give it a listen. Since the success of their debut, the band have toured worldwide and released five more albums, including Floors, which saw them nominated for an Ivan Novello Award, and So Long, See You Tomorrow, which topped the album charts in February 2014. In January 2016, the band announced that they would pursue solo projects, with Ed releasing music under the alias Toothless and Jack recording under the name Mr. Dukes. But in 2020, they triumphantly returned with their fifth studio album, Everything Else Has Gone Wrong. In October 2023, the band released their sixth album, My Big Day. As well as taking on production responsibilities themselves, the powerful and joyful record sees them join forces with musical legends, including Damon Albarn, Shaka Khan, and Paul Epworth, among others. Today, I'm joined by Jack and Ed at Strongroom Studios, and what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Meditate. I never stand, I never wait. I never walk, I levitate. They're punching like a heavyweight. I meditate and It is Meditate by Bombay Bicycle Club from the album My Big Day. And I'm very pleased to say that I have two of Bombay Bicycle Club sat here with me at Strongroom Studios. We've got Jack Stedman. Hello, Jack. Hello. We've got Ed Nash. Hello, Ed. There you are. So it's great to have you both here. And uh, Jack, you're kind of a veteran in a way. Um, because we did the 10th anniversary of the debut Bombay Bicycle Club album with Jim Abyss. And then you also allowed us back to talk to you about Mr. Jukes with Barney. And that was fantastic. So welcome, Ed. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having um, me. And it's yeah, great to be time. able to investigate your music once more. Um, so my big day, the sixth Bombay Bicycle Club album. Yeah. What did you want to do? Well... We wanted to do it ourselves. That's the main thing, which was quite a big decision. 
but probably, yeah, the most important thing about this record. I think we'd had an experience coming back from a hiatus of maybe being a bit cautious and wanting to work with the producer because it's kind of easier as a band to have that authority above you to settle things when you're just getting back and getting used to being together again. Um, and it's, it's probably harder to be mm. super open with each other. You're still kind of just like feeling it out. And then on this one, we're ready to like be really brutal on ourselves again and <laughs> really tell each other how we feel about stuff and uh, proper like the Metallica documentary. Vibes. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting now because I'm mean, especially with the two of you, I mean, you're producers in your own right. You do your own things separately. And so that means that when you come back together, you probably come back with a different perspective on things and, and also how to interact with each other because maybe you've got a bit more experience, a bit more knowledge that you can say, hang on a minute. No, I don't think that's necessarily the right approach for mm. this song. I'd say you, Ed, especially coming back from mm. our break, having worked on your own stuff, there was a sort of a night and day difference between, you know, you maybe being a bit quieter in the studio beforehand and now it's being super involved and yeah. co-writing and co-producing stuff. That, that's that's what I spent the time away from the band doing. You know, beforehand I was a member of the band, whereas after that I kind of... I basically learnt the trade of being a producer, I guess, mm. and connected all the dots and worked out how to do it away from um, away from the band and the way I'd done it for so long before, which yeah. was very rewarding. I'm, I'm glad we had the time away from it. But it kind of, you know, the time away from it does make you realise what you had before and kind of, it, it certainly made all of us long for it and want to go back and do the band again. Yeah, that's interesting. And so kind of renewed, refreshed, and maybe in a more fit state to to bring even more to the table in a way. I think so, yeah. Which is a double-edged sword sometimes, you know, now everyone, and the other two also know how to record and think about music. So when you're doing it yourself, you can go on for ages and ages. And as I'm sure we'll say, looking at these songs, you know, some of them took a very long time to get to the finished product because it's an endless road, you know, you can keep on trying stuff and there was no producer to stop us. Mm. You're right, there's a fine balance because you can't, I mean, f the idea of a band with four like super capable producers would be, I think, tricky because mm. you're all going to zoom in on the, the kick drum or zoom in on the EQ. And it's useful to have at least a few members in the room who are a bit sort of not so intellectual about that kind of stuff and are just feeling the music and mm. being a bit more kind of Rick Rubin about it, of just being like lying on the couch and being like, no, nah, it doesn't feel right rather than it doesn't technically work. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, the first song we're going to look at is My Big Day. So maybe if we have a, a blast of the master, uh, yes. we can get a sense of what it's all about. You don't need a look so appalled. I take care of it all. It's medicine now. Don't pick up, I just called to say. I'm happy as can be. Taste of My Big Day, the title track of the new album by Bombay Bicycle Club. So where did it start with this song? This song, this is quite a good indication of how most of our songs start, this one actually. So it started with me downloading a sample pack from a sample pack website. Right. And I'm totally comfortable admitting that a lot of songs start like that. 
Um, you love a sample, though. I, I love mean, a that, sample. That, that's you know, we discovered that on the Mr. Jukes episode. You yes, know, how you, know, you kind of crate digging on the internet. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Quite a lot. But I mean, with that style of music and the kind of the record I made with Barney, it's kind of at home there. Whereas mm. I think it is more unusual for a band to to work like yeah. that. But I'm a very introverted songwriter, and I think sampling it allows you to almost like collaborate without having to interact with other human beings. <laughs> so you can. You can have all these other musicians in the room with you, so to speak, and be bouncing off ideas and mixing things up, but you're still, you still get to just be by yourself. And this was the sample. And it does sound a bit like um, whatever that, I don't know what the title is, but Hi, My Name Is by Eminem. Right, yeah. Um, I think it is My Name Is. My Name yeah. Is. Yeah. Hi, my name is Ticka Ticka Slim Shady. <laughs> So that was the original sample. That's the sample. That's interesting. And you know, there would have been about 10 or 12 different like compositions on that. And that just, yeah, got my attention. And and from that point, everything's happening super fast. And you, if you see the screen, you'll know that it's all just so disorganized, like nothing here makes sense. And it's because I don't have time to, to label or color things or just, it's all just like, let's see what happens. And then at the end, you sort of look back and think whether it's worth keeping. But in the moment, you're not really really aware of what you're doing. So rather than go to the drum kit and like mic it up and spend loads of time on the sound, the the beat is again, just a beat from a sample pack. Like it's just one, one sound. And that made it onto the record. We didn't, we like, we yeah, love that You often so try and recreate them and you spend half a day on it and you go back to the original sample. You're, you're like, this is amazing. There's something about it and in its spontaneity that you kind of can't recreate. Totally. Yeah. So I mean that's that's the verse done. It's like so simple. It's <laughs> that's like a lot three of different song, yeah. Really not like selling myself here. It's like you could just steal all this stuff. But then it gets more interesting as the song goes on. We, yeah. we add a few more layers to it. Yeah, because you don't just stay in that room on your own listening to your sample packs. Exactly. You you go and meet the band and actually interact with people. No. Which is actually something you like to do. No. No, it's true, it's true. <laughs> I mean yeah, it's like the two sides of it. But there's definitely something to be said about doing it alone at first and sending it so that the guys can hear it in a totally objective way and can be sort of just like doing the washing up while listening to it rather than being in the room holding a guitar mm. being involved and getting that a rush of adrenaline and that excitement that can sometimes cloud your your vision or make you less critical of what you're doing so i think you know you just put your headphones in and i send you an email saying check this out mm. There's nothing romantic about it. You can just be like, no, it's not. This isn't that great. Sorry. Yeah. But when a band spends all night playing a song 10 times, they start to believe that it is a wonderful thing. Mm. I think there's something to be said about that initial burst of inspiration as well. Mm. If you're in the room trying to write a song, it's going to be impossible to write a song. Whereas if you're there kind of feeding off these little ideas, you're going to come up with something a lot quicker and, you know, not overthink it. Yeah. When When you're with other people, you often kind of think is this good and it takes a lot longer to get that initial burst of inspiration i think yeah some people i mean i definitely am quite self-conscious around other mm. people so i won't just like try stuff even though it might not work and that's the best way to make music is just to try a hundred things and see yeah you're completely like free if you're doing that yeah exactly. and i'm sure there's loads of stuff that we never hear that you try and kind of put to the side there's a lot <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of terrible stuff so when jack sent that to you ed i mean were you washing up or, or <laughs> how did you road test it? Actually, with this one, you were like, 
come to the studio, I've got an idea. And I went to Jack's studio, which was in Tottenham at the time, and he played it to me then, which isn't normally how it happens, but it was oh, yeah. the two of us in the room the first time I heard it. Was that the studio that you'd worked on, the Locket? On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so the one that Take Notes has visited. Yeah, so exactly yes. that. Carpet City. Yeah. And I heard it and yeah, I loved it. It's a mix of kind of early Eminem and Weezer, both of which I love. <laughs> and you wouldn't think they'd go together so well, but I really thought they did. And at that stage, it was quite an early version of the song. So I was, yeah, super excited to work on it. So how does it develop? Let's have a look. This is where I need to label stuff. But uh, essentially, I think maybe subconsciously or maybe a little bit consciously, a kind of wanted to keep the 90s thing going. So it is kind of like Weezer or, we always joked that it was like We talk about Sum 41 and Smash Sum 41, <laughs> yeah. Which again, are fantastic. But um, if I, let me just mute the vocals so we can just hear what's going on. I, I kind of see that as quite sort of 90s influence yeah. guitars anyways. The guitar is... So who would have done that guitar? Would that have been Jamie or was that... This was what? all in place when I right, first I all heard in, it right. at, um, okay. at Jack's studio, yeah. The, this, the this bulk of demoed. the song was kind of there. Yeah. Right. And with this one, as we said before, with the drums, a lot of it sounded so kind of unique and weird that we, we ended up keeping quite a lot of it. There's this guitar playing... Along with the vocal. And a lot of people just think it's the vocal being distorted. But yeah, there's a lot of fuzzy fuzziness going on. Should we hear the vocal with it then? Yeah, um, let's, let's hear them together. Just kind of sounds like a distorted vocal. Mm. And would you have done that vocal originally with no words, just sounds, or or would you have, did the words pop into your head? This would have been a song where I actually did write the lyrics at the time of writing the demo, which this is probably the only one ever. Right. It's usually me mumbling, and then the day before we were at the fancy recording studio, Jamie's texting me being like, <laughs> you need to write the lyrics. I'm like, okay, fine, fine. And I think it was kind of just stream of consciousness, but it kind of worked in the end. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what else do we need to hear? I mean, you're well, making it sound really easy. <laughs> the next bit, I think, is when you came in, right? Mm. So the, the bulk of the song was there, but there was a gap in the middle, which was an instrumental section, I think. And Jack was like, I've got here. I don't really know what to do. Like, let's, let's figure something out. So um, it changed quite dramatically in tone from the verses, which were these kind of 90s hip-hop beats into this quite psychedelic bongo kind of freak out section and um yeah we we put a melody on that with the idea of making it quite different making it a departure from the rest of the song and i felt it tied it together at the time and i i, I think that was the last bit to be added really in terms of songwriting yeah i think there was a choice like we needed that kind of middle eight section which typically can sort of go down sometimes and be this like you know intimate like drop down and i think we said oh let's try and do the opposite of that and so the song just kind of goes to a completely different dimension and, and goes up a level and changes uh scene completely i'll just play
isolating all the different of bongos we got there. here. We got like <laughs> 10 tracks of bongos here. But again, this is me demoing the song, so I'm not playing a single bongo. It's all... That's the break number one. This is break number two. That's just bongos. Just bongos. It's all samples. That's great. And they all just come together to make... And are they all sound. from the same sample pack or are they are these no, are other sounds just collect, yeah this is collected over a long yeah, time this is in your library of, exactly. of samples that you've but i mean not as many as most people probably i do recycle things a lot i think it's nice to have like your your one sound that you use like i think early bombay demos would all have the same tambourine yeah yeah through every song and it, they probably made it onto our records and the same crash symbol on all of your songs so it's like why not you don't need to have a thousand so yeah becomes an identifier doesn't it exactly and I think you, so you wrote that. Yeah, that melody. that was a melody that came to me as soon as Jack played the song. I was like, oh, and that's what I'm hearing. And I guess that kind of, you know, Jack was stuck at that section of the song and that's something that kind of moved it forwards, you know, just trying to work quickly. It's the first idea I had and we just put it down into the song and immediately kept on moving. So should, should we, hear, of, can we hear the melody on its own? Is that possible? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Hold on. Nighttime with the windows down, face down in the corner. Must remember to write this down. I'm a push it further. Don't hear me when it all falls So, did you down. sing that to him, Ed? Or did you. I think I played it on the guitar. Right. And then Jack wrote the lyrics and we sang it in shortly afterwards. And it kind of just stuck, you know, it felt right. And we put it at the end of the song as well. So that became the outro. I think mm. beforehand, it, the song just finished after, I don't know, the third verse or something. So you had a kind of middle eight section where it freaked out. And then at the end, kind of returns to it, but with different chords underneath. And it's more fitting with the rest of the song. So everything kind of gels together. I just remember um, writing the lyrics to this with you and then trying to sing this one line. Must remember to write this <laughs> it took a lot longer for me to sing that line than come up with the but idea there is, for it. <laughs> there's something weird about it. I'll play it to you with the music. The, the way that you have to say must remember, it does, it sounds a bit weird. Must remember to write this down. I don't know. Seren could come in and like notate that in rhythm and find out that that is actually quite a weird thing to say. Yeah. But we did a lot of takes of that. I, I did a huge amount of that. <laughs> and singing it live, I still can't do now. So, right. um, I you still created a rod for your own back. <laughs> yeah, it's all your fault. Um, and then I guess in a kind of very typical like '90s poppy way, we do a "Lighters in the Air" like chorus by itself. And me, I'm just sleeping lightly, cause it's my big day. And then everyone back in. And even that drum sample, I mean, even that drum fill, that is a separate thing from a separate, I love that fill, separate sample pack. <laughs> and now Seren has to play that every night. So yeah, it's right. like someone else is dictating what we need to do out there. It's kind of like just letting it, letting it up to the gods, right? It's, yeah. But it's interesting because Seren has to go and learn all those parts. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't, I can't, I'm like, I don't know how, yeah, how to do it. Yeah. So. so he has to end up incorporating 
dozens, it seems, of different drummers. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) he's very, yeah, luckily he's a very versatile drummer. But I do think it's another wonderful thing about sampling is a brilliant way of incorporating chants into what you're doing. Because a a lot of the problem with making music is over-intellectualizing things and overthinking. And when you just kind of, I don't know, roll the dice, you can surprise yourself and do exciting things. So even just like going down over loads of samples until like something surprising happens and then using that rather than sitting and trying to work out through logic what would have been the right thing to do. I think that's a nice way to do it. Yeah. Um, And then we, yeah, we go back into another chorus and the choruses are all about loud, quiet, loud, quiet. So it's like if you picture us trying to play the guitar, we have to like hit our tuner pedal, which (laughs) mutes everything to like stop it. So it's like, stop. Da, stop. It's, it's really another difficult. monster we've created for yeah. ourselves live. It's a it's a real tricky thing to do. Everyone's dancing around the stage. And it seems so stage. simple. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, it's quite deceptive, isn't it? So yeah, because I mean, on the laptop, you just literally cut the sound really mm. extreme. So it's like. But doing that live is very difficult. So, yeah. Yeah. And Eminem wouldn't have a band doing that. He'd just use the. <laughs> He'd use like the volume knob. Yeah. The DJ would stop the record. Um. Yeah, another chorus, and then Ed's Ed's magical middle eight repeats, but transposed, I suppose. I have one idea with music making, which is put two ideas, which you've heard previously, over one another. (laughs) Normally it doesn't work, but with this one, it kind of, it came off all right. (laughs) I try and do it on every song we have, and um, (laughs) it pays off rarely, but this is a good one. Yeah, I mean, old trick. Yeah, it did. It worked really well. So it's the melody from Ed's middle eight, which used to have different chords, over the chords, of our original chorus and kind of throwing the kitchen sink at everything. And I just want to highlight one of my favorite sounds from the whole record, which is me trying to sound like a sort of keyboard. There's a guitar underneath it as well, but it's, it's like pitched out. So that's my voice. Kind of sounds like you're on a merry-go-round or something. Yeah, but also sounds like a child. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of ties in to the theme of the song, possibly, My Big Day. I don't know, because you've, yeah. you've kind of used this idea in terms of promoting the song with people opening parcels. And there was that clip you had of, of a kid going crazy on Christmas oh, Day, yeah, yeah. which was pretty entertaining. <laughs> and so that's kind of instilled that in my, in my mind, that that's one interpretation of, of my big day. But the, the flip side, it seems, is also it's your big day and that kind of, under, you know, when the big days are there, they often undermine themselves because too much pressure is put on a big day. Yeah, it's funny because we took this, the title of the song for the title of the record because we kind of thought we'd made this quite joyful and, and celebratory record. And yeah, and even the show we're making like on the next few tours is going to be you know all this my big day in, in big balloons and a big party the actual song itself is about subverting the idea of, of your birthday or a, or a celebration and you want to like unplug the phone like draw your curtains and just like get really stoned and not talk to anyone which is <laughs> my idea of a perfect birthday it does happen though whether people intentionally do that or not Sometimes it all goes wrong on the big day. You know, That's and true. New Year's Eve is a classic example. That's true. The expectations are always too high. Mm. Yeah. So you're kind of tapping into that and also having a great big celebration now yeah. on the tour, which is good. It's great. Um, excellent. I think we've covered it all there. Maybe we just ha- kind of play a bit of the outro and we'll yeah. move on to the next song we're going to nice. look at. I'll keep playing. Yeah. 
excellent. So that is my big day. Um, the first selection from Bombay Bicycle Club's new album that we're looking at. The next is going to be Heaven. Yes. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. The next song we're going to look at from My Big Day is Heaven, featuring Damon Albarn. But before I ask about Damon's appearance, let's hear a blast of the master. Never lend a hand to this again When everybody asks what then Well, long as we can just pretend Even with the weight, with all of this at stake Well, heaven is a risk I'll take We'll never ever have to chase it It is heaven by Bombay Bicycle Club from my big day and... You intended to produce the album yourself, but I think you got Paul Epworth involved in that track? Yes, for this one we did. We had such, uh, like, so many things to do with this track that we needed to get a real pro. <laughs> and we used a studio as And well. you got to go to the church yeah. mm. in Crouch End, which is kind of where you're all from, in a way, you know, that kind of area of, of North London. Mm. Um, and the church is a kind of legendary studio now yeah we actually recorded um our second record there as well when it was dave stewart's right. studio so yeah we know it well it's a yeah. lovely lovely room yeah and there it sounds like you've got a whole gang of people yeah. <laughs> in 
playing yeah. and singing. Uh, everyone we could on that this one. This song went on quite the journey, so it'd be fun to talk about. Yeah. yeah. yeah Excellent. Where does it start? Can you guess where this song starts? <laughs> could it be <laughs> with a guess? sample, do you think? <laughs> um, I might actually, oh, if I was connected to the internet, I would play you the original on YouTube. But um, this is me cutting up the sample, and it's a band called the Vikings of Guadeloupe. So was this a record that you purchased in a flea market? I wish. This is me browsing YouTube right at night. I um I got addicted to going and buying too many records. And the thing is when you're in a record shop there's it sounds better. Mm. Like the listening stations they crank it up. It's all like you're like excited to be there. You're like, this is the best record I've ever heard. And you take it back and it doesn't sound as good and you just pile up all these ones that you don't want. So I've switched to digital only for the time being. <laughs> Fair enough. I can understand that. I mean, it, it, that is very true. Things you hear in record shops sound amazing sometimes mm. and then you get them home and they're not quite the same. And I mean, especially as a, as a crate digger, like a sample, mm. someone's finding samples, you do just end up physically with too much you know you're, you're just trying to find like one sound and you have to buy a whole record for it so i don't know maybe that's gonna yeah. get me in trouble but i'm at peace with uh with just using youtube now that's fair enough so you were surfing youtube and came across Le viking to guadalupe what yeah. when you're doing that what's the technique is it just straight in to the sound did their name catch your attention i think it's a it's a combination of quite a good algorithm now and just communities on youtube there's amazing channels which just kind of curate music for you. Again, for me, it's like the simplest and laziest path to something is the route I'm going to take. So these guys are like just finding amazing music and, and uh, putting it in playlists. And I must have found it through there. And it's a brilliant sample. I would, yeah, maybe we can find the original sample and play a little yeah. snippet of it. Were you in bed when you? I mean, what's your favorite position to go <laughs> searching? Yeah, this could have been this could have been a late night sort of down the rabbit hole experience, which you usually find a lot of great music and you have to be very, you have to remind yourself to save it because in the morning you guess, you know, you're going to wake up and be like, oh my God, what the hell did I find last night? Did, you, I, did I dream that? You've got a lot of playlists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me search for Le Vikings de la Guadalupe. Here we are. And yeah, you can see this is a, this is one of those channels. R Beats 2004. Shout out to him. tell the kind of mind state I was in when I was finding this <laughs> Chilled, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> it sounds great, mm. but it's interesting when you hear something, how do you decide what you're going to do with it? Well, I imagine that this was a beat written during the Mr. Jukes and Barney Artist days. Right. And a lot of Bombay songs come from that kind of stuff. You know, it's all recycled. Yeah. And I think you can find some you can make some really interesting music that way. Mm. Like take something that was meant to be a hip hop beat and uh, see if you can turn it into a Bombay Bicycle Club song. So, I mean, you had started illustrating what you were doing it with it when you were playing around with it. Maybe we should just re-hear yeah. that again. This just... is about as far as I got when the band got involved, like the intro to the song when, and when I start singing. Is that another 
drum sample or is it a, a drum I'm machine? I'm actually playing it this time. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, making a bit of effort with this one. <laughs> <laughs> we will never lend our hand to this again when everybody asks what then. Well, long as we can just pretend. Even with the weight, with all of this at stake, well, heaven is a risk I'll take. Well, never ever have to chase it. That's about it. We kind of we got mm. there, and then we were like, "Where should we go?" And I think it was Jamie that suggested, "Let's find a way to go to a completely different space." And why don't we reference "A Day in the Life" by the Beatles? Where it has that very dissonant sort of violin out of out of tune screechy transition, and then it drops down to just something quite soft. Mm. And then I think you wrote another section, and it went from this straight into the instrumental section, and everyone quite liked it, but it wasn't you know it wasn't quite cutting it. We didn't know what it needed at all. And I think it was about that time where Jack went round to Damon's studio to kind of just mm. play him the songs and see what he thought about them. And this was on the list of songs that we kind of liked but we didn't know what to do with so we were like oh, let's see if he's let's see if he's got some ideas that's interesting so i mean is that because damon's a friend who you run ideas by quite a lot uh, no i haven't ever sort of done that before but i'd just been working with him quite a lot in paris on an opera that he'd done and i guess i felt comfortable enough to say hey can you come and give me a hand mm. and i knew that he'd have some pretty strong ideas about stuff yeah because he's a man with strong ideas about yeah. stuff. And he also cannot stop creating. That's the impression I got when we talked to him on another episode mm. of Take Notes fairly recently. Totally. You know, he just, like, he was talking about how you know, they go on tour. He takes a guy who can help facilitate him, you know, recording after every show. You know, 100%. Uh, and, you know, it's just nonstop. So he would have been delighted to see you walk through the door with some ideas. Definitely. But, I mean, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse because then you work with him and you get something that's, like half finished and you're really excited and to get him to finish it is incredibly difficult because <laughs> he's i mean he's gone off and 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 done a million other things and mm. like, hey do you remember that that morning we spent he's like what what was that okay <laughs> so yeah getting him to write the lyrics to this was it took a while but we we're very very grateful that he took the time to do it that's great so tell us about how that evolved then i mean did you walk away with something that day yeah so i played him the bit I'll, let's just rewind a bit and we can hear not only that, but also the um, the day in the life kind of mm. transition that we were talking about. And then Damon would have just heard this. Mm, there was another vocal in it, I think. And I think there was maybe a, a vocal from me, and he said, mute that for a second. And then he got up and went to the microphone, and he just started singing. And I I thought he was just going to give me some like feedback on the structure of the song. Or, mm. And he just started singing this beautiful line. And yeah, so let me just unmute that so we can go back and, and hear what he did. Every day parade I hear the fog Singing in the town The dedicated To all the sounds they found And praise of God 
He's got such a wonderful tender like, quality to his voice mm. that just, mm. I think, makes that section just work so well. Yeah, for sure. We were all at home and we got a message from Jack at the end of the day. And he said, I hope you don't mind, but uh, Damon Albarn's going to be singing on this one. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I hope it's good because we can't really say no to him. Like, <laughs> you weren't all like, I was an Oasis fan, not a bluff. Yeah, we're like, nah. dare you? <laughs> and then he sent it through and we're like, okay, fantastic. Like, it's good. And Damon Albarn wants to sing on a song, which is an absolute dream. You know, he's a, a hero of all of us. Yeah. It's like a, a dream come true. Fantastic. And it was kind of this just injection of energy into the not only the song but us and our feelings towards mm. the song because kind of it was this demo and it didn't have all these strings and i think at that point we were like this song is going to be epic like let's go mm. and let's be as over the top as as, as anyone ever could be and, and more so than the band has ever been in the past you know let's get a brass section let's get a string section let's get a choir and i know that can sound like oh it's a very typical sixth album from a band that's like way way too like up there on us but i think for this one song it really warranted it and and especially that kind of beatles influence of that very 60s psychedelic kind of orchestration rather than just like over the topness and it'd be lovely to actually just isolate some of these um, yeah they all the parts are absolutely fantastic but we should say parts. in your defense that you know you've used loads of different kinds of instrumentation and arrangements in the past on on other sure. records mm. and live on stage as well i mean you've You've brought on tons of people to bash things and Definitely. play instruments. <laughs> There's just something about being in a big studio with a like full orchestra that makes mm. me self-conscious about, you know, I don't know why, I, I shouldn't be, but it's like, it screams of man midlife crisis, <laughs> <laughs> which it shouldn't. I mean, um, but yeah, let me, let me play some of these sounds. So did you write all these parts beforehand? Did you employ any else to get involved we got a wonderful arranger from paul epworth it's called sally mm. sally herbert i think her name was i think so yeah yeah and she was incredible but it's sort of you know we'd we'd talk on the phone every day and kind of we'd tell her like the vision of it and then mm. she'd come back and we'd be like oh can we change this one part and do this kind of thing and um oh, let me get to the big section the five string bass is actually a step further than an orchestra that we've never <laughs> oh done goodness, that either. Right. <laughs> there's an orchestra and and a five string yeah, bass that is and a is it you real... playing the five string bass or <laughs> i think it's jack playing the five string right. bass yeah, that's yeah. so true the orchestra is the least of ours that, that is um that's a middle-aged <laughs> crisis <laughs> five strings um and then so the one other thing that damon really added was we came up with this middle eight together and he was sitting there playing the rose and just coming up with these chords and I just want to play that section and then isolate a few of the sounds, which I think are wonderful. From a shipwreck, he got the wrong for his truth in life and tooth in gold. By the time I thought he'd have the climbs, 
himself in time Admit defeat No, he didn't even wake up That's very Abbey Road, I think. Mm. Especially that with the quite normal straight drums, you know, Seren's just yeah. really holding it down. It's not too ostentatious at all, yeah. yeah. Which is a hard thing to get him to do. He's a very, yeah. he's a very um, good drummer. wonderful sort of Kid A style string outro I absolutely love I think mm. this was Sally's Sally's writing and the sample comes the back on um, some of the Radiohead stuff I like how the song it starts just a someone like you know making a little bedroom beat with very simple ingredients and then goes on you know, couldn't really be more maximalist by the time it gets established, but then returns to just like this very simple sample and this very intimate thing. And maybe in that sense, it kind of keeps it real. Yeah. But in a way, in the original sample, I mean, it's hard to isolate or work out exactly what instruments are on that original tune, but it sounds like harp or ember mm, yeah. or something. So there's a variety of instrumentation there, but a world away pretty much from the other world that you've brought into it with totally. you know, woodwind and brass and very kind of Western classical instrumentation. But then sure. then again, the way that you're using it has a kind of brass band element, has a, you know, has a different kind of root to it as well, which is quite interesting. For sure. And it was fun just because it was such a new experience for us. We'd never really been like behind the, the mixing desk at a studio with like 50 musicians in front of you. And it was great to have Paul Epworth there to kind of be the captain of the ship at that point. Because mm. I don't know, I'm not sure if it, we it, That's why we got Paul Epworth in. And he actually did a bit of arrangement on the song, but we wanted a safe pair of hands. And I mean, he's done strings with Adele, he's done strings with other people. We knew that he'd be able to kind of stand there and command a room of 40 people. Right. And it was it was an amazing experience. And what was the technique? What's the special technique? I think just be charismatic and cool, basically. Yeah, Paul is yeah. definitely that. Like, you know, Does he wave his arms in a particular way? He waves or? his arms, yeah. thumbs up, a lot of encouragement. <laughs> and yeah, we're in this church, you know, it sounds beautiful just in the room, all these people playing instruments, everyone standing behind the desk. It was kind of like being in the 70s or something. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> like doesn't he, I mean, in, if I remember rightly from when we went there, he's kind of got two desks beside so each other. So he two old neves yeah. and then glued them together somehow. Oh. So he's got, I think, the biggest neve in the world. Yeah, it's, it looks cool. Yeah, fantastic. and sounds really, really cool too. The one thing I remember, th uh, sort of being so blown away by with Paul was just how he made such simple changes to the song that had such a huge impact. Mm. And I remember him just like sitting us down even before we talked about any of the sounds and and thinking about the lyrics, which we maybe don't do as much. Not in the same way. It yeah. was like very, very back to basics. He said, "Okay, this song's called Heaven. What are you trying to get across?" And he's like, the best line in this is heaven is a risk I'll take. Mm. So like 
make that the focus. And we're like, okay, I hadn't really thought of yeah, that. I think that's that, that, very obvious. That line probably happened once or yeah. twice originally. And he was like, that's going to resonate with people. And yeah. he really thinks about what people will, will kind of catch on to. And we, yeah, we, we took out some extra lines that maybe weren't as good and, and just kept repeating that. And you look back and you think, wow, it's something quite straightforward, but it's mm. made a huge difference to the song. And is that what all the voices sing as well? Do the, is that the line that they sing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that becomes the big refrain. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's really interesting, just yeah. highlighting well, that one thing. And in terms of the words, I mean, you, you said that Damon just stepped up and started singing and singing words. I think I probably um, have his original demo, which people might be interested to hear, actually. Yeah, that would be great. Um, but then in terms of working out the lyric, did you use what he had initially said? And then you, you said you had to kind of chase him to going to finish it well i think he wanted to he wanted to sing his own lyrics right you know because yes. we would have offered to save him time we said hey you know do you want us to have a crack mm. at this but i think he felt strongly about writing his own words so that was the part that we had to wait quite a while for because you know it's hard writing lyrics i think he ended up driving from coachella yeah. to like another show in las vegas or something and he said while he's in the car he'll just like be like making voice members and stuff. So. Right. He was he very really much, is. he was on tour with Gorillaz whilst doing all of this stuff. Yeah, there like is not a moment wild. in the day where he isn't making music and it is incredible. It really does seem that it's way, incredible. doesn't it? It is amazing. Because I think that last Blur album was also written on that same yeah. thing. Really? <laughs> I believe yeah. Um, is this it? Every to pay. Yeah, this is him just kind of mumbling. And you can hear some of the lyrics that have kind of been inspired. It's raining cold. And every laden boat's down It's dedicated All the sound of me It's kind of just mumbling, but... It's funny, because he is mumbling, but it's all there. Yeah. Like, you can hear the whole song, really. And it's got the emotion, yeah. Yeah, it's the emotion and the tenderness is there. It's a wonderful example of demoitis, because we got so attached to these mumbles. Right. That, you know, it's... It's like a losing battle trying to rewrite these lyrics because even though they don't mean anything, you get so attached yeah. to them, don't you? You start hearing your own words in them. Yeah. That happens with us all the time. Mm. Less so now, but definitely in the past, most of the demos I would send would have mumble lyrics. and mm. You do finally like, get attached to, to mumbling. Yeah, well, um, there's, a, there's a lot of mileage in mumbling, I think. Yeah. No. It's a good way to write the lyrics, I find. I think you can kind of tell that Damon works the same way because the mumbles... They kind of lead you the way to the to a word that's going to phonetically sound right, and mm. that's halfway to writing a good lyric. It has to. I don't like just writing like you're not going to write a poem and then try and smash it into place into the song like really brutally. It needs to um, the syllables and stuff need to rhythmically work and sound good with the music. You're putting the emphasis on the melody and then yeah. kind of moving around that. I think. Exactly. I think you can tell when people have written words without music and then tried to place them in and sometimes to me sounds a bit off kilter mm. yeah very interesting um we will move on from heaven even though it is a wor risk worth taking <laughs> um and we're going to look at another song we'll take a quick break and the next song we're going to look at is just a little more time The next song we're going to look at from My Big Day by Bombay Bicycle Club is Just a Little More Time so I guess let's hear a little listen yeah yeah yeah
Just a Little More Time by Bombay Bicycle Club. And that's actually the opening track of the album. Yes. And in some ways, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, wow, this is really interesting because it seems to link in many different things, both the different mm. elements of Bombay over the years and also a nod to Mr. Dukes, too. For sure. And, and it's all in one place. And in a way, the whole album is a bit like that because, say, with the closing track, Onward, that taps into you know your love of of, say, Sonic Youth or something mm. like that, and you rock out a bit, which I think was one of the original impetuses for, for Bombay Bicycle Club. Um, but obviously there's so many other musics that you're into and so many yeah. different genres, and we kind of sure. hear them all colliding together in just a little more time. Well, this is a song that um, it kind of came about very spontaneously and right at the end, this is the last song to be written. And we had been at the church, like we were talking about earlier, recording the drums and bass and guitars for most of the record. And we had a day off for some reason. We wanted a day off. We we had, you know, two or three three weeks in there and everyone was tired, so we took a day off. But we'd still got the studio. We were still paying for it. So I didn't take a day off. <laughs> <laughs> so I came into the studio and just kind of started mucking around by myself. And um, they have this wonderful Mellotron, which is a very early kind of sampler, I guess, which the Beatles would use a lot. And found this setting called, I think it was trying to be a guitar, but I'm playing it like a keyboard. So it sounds quite unusual, but very percussive. Like when something's so bad that it's good, like yeah. that, that's clearly a terrible guitar sound, but it creates something else and, that you've um, never heard before. And Seren's drum kit was like all set up, so I just walked around and thought, oh, let's like make this into a beat. This sounds fun. Yeah. And this is all the same session and same recording from that day, just me with my laptop on the desk. And that's why we took it to the mixing engineer. I said, sorry, the drums are just one sound. You can't mix this. And that's just the way it's going to be because it's just the most expensive studio and equipment in the world going into this very, very cheap interface into my very, very right. crappy laptop. And Did you have you know, that plopped on like the, yeah, the 50 like channel Yeah, the Neve. rarest Neve channel in the world. <laughs> the all this wonderful stuff. And I'm kind of like just finding a place to put this down without breaking anything and... That's brilliant. Um, so, and when you were just recording the different sounds you were making on the different instruments, in effect, I'm like um, hitting record and then running quickly to like right. find that you know it's, it's a quite church. a big studio. So <laughs> yeah, and then kind of channeling your version of your bandmates exactly playing, in a way. Yeah, yeah, I love exactly. that. You no, know, you were being Seren for a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, and then I guess just piece by piece, just adding little little bits. There's we have to isolate some sounds from this section because there's about ten different things playing this riff. <laughs> say this is very influenced by the album Hot Rats by Frank Zappa. Right. Like the very like orchestrated and quite eastern sounding sound sometimes. But yeah, let's let's bring up this sound because this is a this is just loads of different virtual instruments on contact. But we've got a Shanai. Let me play this. <laughs> That's very Frank Zappa. When you isolate them, it sounds absolutely hilarious. That is, can you not tell? To <laughs> Shania, we have a, a Shakuhachi. We have an Oud. We have a Zerna. That's the key sound, That's I think. the best one, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about learning that for our next tour, but they're quite hard to locate. <laughs> I couldn't find one. A fiddle. A Nayatiti. A Duduk. 
Attila. So what did you do here? This you... is just playing one melody and then you just get to add as many sounds to it as you right. want. So all of them together. It's this crazy orchestra. And then um, to try and sort of bring it back to earth, I am playing the guitar as well. It's a brilliant effect though, isn't it? Uh, together it sounds... Together it sounds amazing. Quite cool, I think. Because it's your tune, but yeah. as if you had taught it to a whole gang of people yeah, from around yeah. the world. You know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about this song. We, again, we got um, the same choir that we recorded on Heaven, we brought in for the ending of this song, just to kind of make it sound a bit more epic. We've got our friend Ray Morris singing on it, and she's got such a distinctive voice. All I can hear is her. Yeah, like amongst the group of people, you can always pick her out. I think we should give a shout out to the um, to the Korg Monotron. I think it's, uh, it's yeah. called a monotron, right? This is this tiny plastic instrument brought out by Korg, which has double A batteries in it, and it just does this sound essentially. Little dubby things. And we've had the same one since our fourth record, and just whenever we do like these little psychedelic wig outs, our keyboard player used to have one. He had this like <laughs> massive rig with all these nice keys, and then just this tiny little thing, which we'd have to replace the batteries for every yeah. show. And you just like do these squiggles, but it sounds amazing. And what well, just has a jack out that you just a, a jack mini out. jack out too. Yeah. And you it's just have a very cheap little, little thing. <laughs> but there's just certain moments in music where you just need to have a little squiggle. Like... And yeah, nothing does squiggles better than this cork monotron. And yeah, it felt short and snappy. It felt like it was making a statement and we thought this would be the perfect opening track. Mm. Yeah. It was sent through to us and it was the only track there was no kind of fiddling with or discussion about after. Everyone was like, that's great. And then I don't think we had a conversation. It just became the first track on the record. Yeah. Whereas the other ones are kind of so meticulously moved around and planned and kind of thought about this was the demo, is the first track, and then that was that. Yeah. That's amazing. It's nice, considering it's a kind of throwaway composition, in a way, you know, just kind of in a mm. spontaneous burst of creativity. Mm. Yeah, it's a good example. I mean, because either side of that day off would have been so much sitting down and analysing and thinking about stuff, and this is just a good example of being like, oh, well, I've got nothing to lose today. No one's here. Mm. It's a day off. I think that's quite a good mindset to be in sometimes, like forgetting what you're doing and just clearing your mind. And yeah, if there was a way to fake that, it would be incredible, like, you know. I guess you can call your own day off, but it doesn't work. It has to be someone else saying, "Yeah, you don't have to yeah. do anything today. And then you think, okay, I'm, I'm going to though. And then <laughs> something amazing happens. Fantastic. I love that liberation yeah. um, in full effect. Um, before we let you go, I need to ask you a few questions. The first one I'll ask you of, our, of the questions we ask everybody is about tech or, or gear equipment mm. um, that you're currently enjoying at the moment in terms of this record or, or something. Maybe you've moved on now. Um, I've got this old Casio keyboard. It must be from the 80s. And it's terrible. Kind of like the Mellotron sound Jack gets on there. You know, it's it's meant to sound like something else, but it just sounds bad. 
and bad to the point where it's good. You can use it on everything. And I do all these songwriting sessions and production sessions, and that's the thing that gets used the most because it has this sound to it that you kind of you can't replicate. You could spend all the money in the world and you wouldn't get anything that sounds as kind of weird and special as that. Does it have a catalogue number or something? If I it, have no idea. No. <laughs> it's probably rubbed off at this point. And, you know, yeah. it's got like harp and it doesn't sound like a harp and then strings and you get this kind of weird, wacky sound that you could, yeah, you could never recreate if you had an amazing synth. Yeah, fantastic. What about you, Jack? I'm, I'm going to have to give a shout out to the software that I use, which doesn't get enough <laughs> praise, I don't think. And it's called Samplitude. And uh, it's Windows only, which is why I use it. Uh, otherwise, I'd definitely be using Pro Tools. But it has had a huge effect on how I make music because it, it's so good for sampling stuff. You press a button and it will record like what I'm listening to on the computer. So I'm on YouTube and I just quickly like record it. And then immediately, like if you see on the screen there, you cut it up into loads of different tiny, tiny sections. And each one, you can apply its own effect. You can pitch shift it. You can do whatever you want. It's just in terms of like manipulating sound, I'm sure everyone's as quick as, as this on their own stuff, but I just, I think this is the perfect program for, for sampling other music and, and twisting it and turning it. Samplitude. And it's called Samplitude. Yeah. I, it's yeah. in the name. It's funny that no one uses this program. If you go on their website, it's actually got a picture of me. Being like, <laughs> I love Samplitude. It's me and like loads of German techno producers and stuff. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Um, do either of you have routines? You know, do, can we uh, see a little window into the working minds or routines of, of Bombay. Is there anything you need to do every day? Um, creatively, I've got a studio in my garden, which is where I work. And I always found it very unproductive, kind of going between there and the house. You know, there was no separation. So now when I wake up, I leave the house through the front door, go for a walk, do something else. And then I come through the back door, even though it's all connected, and go to the studio as if they're two different places. And I find if I do that, I can kind of compartmentalize the two things and have a creative space and a home space. Whereas before, if I got stuck or bored, I'd just go inside and watch TV or like make something to eat. And it was always really unproductive until I started doing that. So whatever um, I do, I just leave the front door and go away. I love it's that. A different I space. think that's fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, you got any routines at the moment? Habits? I wouldn't say like a daily routine, but I always, if I'm like reviewing something I've done, I like to be and a, move, a moving vehicle, but not driving. So maybe it's a bus or maybe it's a train or it could even be an airplane, but I need to be sitting by the window and like just looking out and listening to it like that. It's my favorite place to listen to music or and even to write music. Sometimes I'll like book a ticket on a sleeper train and get a cabin and just like have my laptop and just like have the window there with stuff. I like things uh, moving out the window, basically. Wow, really interesting. Now we've just been chased, so we've got just a tiny bit of time. Have you got any advice that you would pass on to anybody? Uh, the guy that taught me to record music said, you can't polish a turd, and it's always turned out to be true. Like, make time, you know, tuning stuff, make sure it sounds good in the room, and it will sound good afterwards. Yeah, it's pretty simple stuff, but yeah. it always works. Sound solid, Jack? I would say you don't need to go across the room and actually pick up the drumsticks. You can just go and find a sample pack, and it's going to sound <laughs> incredible. Like, save, save the energy. <laughs> and channel it into the creativity channel obviously, obviously in effect yeah. so Ali's got in touch one of our patrons um, he says I'm super interested in which song they feel is the quintessential Bombay Bicycle Club song that they were put in a time capsule as representative the, of them as a band is there one do you think the song I always come back to is a song called Lights Out Words Gone which is on our third record and I don't know. It, for me, it feels like when 
we were established enough as a band, but still young, still excited about everything. And it kind of, it sat in that perfect place when everything was falling into place. So for me, it's- I think that's a great show, yeah. It's kind of got a quite prominent sample, but then lots of guitars, but the guitars are kind of got lots of different influences and whether it's like West African high life or mm. something and a very strong bass line. It felt like when we were line. finding our, our sound, you know, Beforehand, it was a guitar band, and then it was becoming something else, and it was about that point where it felt like it was starting to change. And maybe the feeling it captures as well. Mm. I've always thought it's got this very end of summer going into autumn, like melancholy, nostalgic thing, which I think we've carried into a lot of our songs. Yeah, fantastic. Ali, I was also wondering which song makes you happiest to play live? Probably the one we just heard just a little <laughs> yeah, more time. It's really fun too. to play, and we're, we're opening our sets with it. And yeah, it just feels great to be back playing that song. Fantastic. I'm going to let you go. We're going to play Tekken 2 featuring Chaka Khan as our outro. And there's quite a few featured vocalists on this album. And obviously we talked about Damon. How did you get Chaka involved? Damon suggested that. That was Damon's suggestion, right? Yeah. It's in his Gorillaz Rolodex. He's got all, all the coolest singers you could he find He probably referred world. to as yeah. just Shaka in early. Yeah. No, yeah, he, he, we, we said, you know, can you hear anyone on this track? And he was just immediately said Shaka Khan. I think I burst out laughing in his face. But then walking home, just thought, we've got nothing to lose. And we, we sent her manager an email and was so surprised that not only did they come back, but they were really enthusiastic. And there were things like she really wanted to make a music video with us. And we hadn't even planned to like release the song properly or do a video. And she, we're like, okay, Shaka, like, we'll do a music video. Like, great. But she was amazing. Yeah, she was super sweet. Fantastic. Jack, Ed, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and let's hear Shaka in full effect. So this is Tekken 2, Bombay Bicycle Club featuring Shaka Khan. Thank you for listening. And in particular, thanks to all of you who have signed up to support us on Patreon. I'm just one part of the team that brings you Take Notes, and it relies on your support. Access to Patreon includes the full-length videos of new episodes where possible, ad-free episodes, and detailed gear lists, among many other things. If you'd like to join, head to the link on our socials or website. For pictures, highlight clips, and behind-the-scenes content, head to our Instagram or YouTube channel. And on Discord, you can join the growing Take Notes community. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.